Hello, Macrobians, and welcome to our next episode of Macrob's Assembly Podcast. Hey, Macrobians, my name is Michaela, and I'm so excited to be welcoming you back to another episode of Macrob Assembly Podcast. Firstly, wow, this week it's been a big one, but boy, has it been so good. We have welcomed back. Years 11s and 12s back to school grounds for a full week of face-to-face learning. But not only face-to-face learning, we've had a full week of discussions, of laughter, of chatter, of smiles. It's been so exciting to have everyone back together, to see familiar faces, to be taught by a teacher standing at the front of the classroom. It's honestly been incredible. I must say, I genuinely don't think, well, I love McRob. I love school. I absolutely love coming to school. And I've had three and a half incredible years here. But I must say, I've never felt so excited to be jumping on a train at 7.30, 8 o'clock in the cold weather coming to school. Honestly, it's just been the best. To everyone who made the transition possible, a huge thank you. Thank you for being so flexible and adaptable. Thank you for bringing your smiling faces and your joy back to school. We have all absolutely loved it, but we're not complete. We cannot wait to welcome back the Year 9s and 10s next week. So we know you have one more week left of online learning. Enjoy it because I do have to say, although it is amazing to come back to school, there are some positives of online learning as we all would know. Um, the close proximity to the fridge and the kettle, the ability to go for a walk whenever you, well, not whenever you want, but more time, the more longer sleep-ins, they're something we'll all miss. So enjoy that. But we cannot wait to welcome you all back so soon and have our whole community back together. On this week's episode of McRobb's Assembly podcast, we will be marking National Reconciliation Week. We will also be marking National Penpal Day, and Aisha, the other school captain, will be launching a penpal program, which you can all get involved in, so stay tuned for that. You'll be hearing some awesome conversations between different people, a principal's address from Miss Stout, as well as an awesome music performance by Beck Larratt, one of our very own drama captains. So wherever you are, whether you're on your train journey home, walking your dog around your neighbourhood, or maybe you're sitting in your backyard having a cup of tea, wherever you are, enjoy this week's podcast. Soak up the McGrub energy and we cannot wait to have everyone back together very, very soon. Have a wonderful week and thank you finally to everyone who had a hand in putting this podcast together. Your work is really, really appreciated, so thank you. I will now hand over for the acknowledgement of country. Good morning, everyone. My name is Alexa Kaldor, and today I'm reading an acknowledgement of country from my home in Melbourne on the lands of the Wurundjeri people. Today we are meeting virtually from all over Victoria. I wish to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land where we all meet today. I would also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which our school stands, the land of the Boon people of the Eastern Kulin Nation. I pay respect to their elders, past and present, and to Indigenous elders of other communities who may be listening today. Today is National Pen Pal Day. Perhaps this might seem like a strange day to recognise, especially in the fast-paced digital world we inhabit. 
But I think the concept of pen pals is the perfect reminder of the joy of creating relationships with others for no other reason than to reach out to someone and make a human connection. The nature of relationships today has changed. We've moved towards far more digital communication, spending time with relatives via Zoom or Google, chatting on social media, or sharing stories via Instagram. And these provide us with instant connection, real-time conversations, and the opportunity to share how we are and where we are right now. But long before digital technology took hold, friendships developed in different ways, in the playgrounds of local schools, in the streets where children played and grew up, and through connections with families, neighbours and local communities. Communication was slower, less public, and information shared was often less personal or open than it might be today. Beyond face-to-face -face contact, letter writing was the main form of communication. And depending on what the mail might contain, waiting for a letter could by turns be an exciting or torturous event. Pen pals have often been strangers who got to know each other through the written word. Sometimes pen pals came together through formal networks, perhaps through requests to support others who may be isolated, such as armed service personnel, or through schools or via community organisations. Other times, pen friends emerged quite by chance, creating unlikely friendships through serendipitous circumstance. Writing to someone you haven't met without knowing how you might relate to each other or whether you'll have anything in common at all, what is it about these relationships that keeps people connected? Perhaps it is the art of writing, of reliving feelings and events for someone else, that is mindful and enjoyable. Perhaps it's learning about someone else whose life may be vastly different in culture, norms, background and experience, helping to build understanding and empathy, empathy for the life someone else is living. Perhaps it's the thought that someone, somewhere, has chosen to take the time to write to you, to share their thoughts and feelings, fears and joys with you in a way that they may not have shared with anyone else, and the knowledge that you will receive that letter and honour their time with your own as you read and reply. Whatever the reason, stories of pen pals and their lasting relationships can be found everywhere. And even today, when our modes of communication are so much quicker than the mail, Many still enjoy the pleasure of writing and receiving letters from their lifelong pen pals. So today, on National Pen Pal Day, what better time for us to launch our Kiwis and Kangaroos initiative? As part of their leadership commitment, Aisha and Michaela took part in a leadership conference in Sydney early this year. And there, they met Bella Barber and Ella Wilson, head prefects at Queen Margaret College, a girls' school in New Zealand. They came up with the idea to connect our two schools via a pen pal program. The Kiwis and Kangaroos initiative is designed to establish connections between students of similar ages and interests between both our schools, providing an opportunity for students to make a new friend. Additionally, the pen pal initiative aims to be a safe environment in which students can not only widen their networks, but also learn about another culture whilst developing skills in reading and writing. Following National Reconciliation Week last week, which V and Sharon will discuss shortly, the opportunity to connect and learn about other cultures, including the Indigenous Maori culture, is something that I'm sure will interest many of you. 
Bella, Ella, Michaela and Aisha will be responsible for matching students in both schools and will aim to match students on the basis of their age and interests and Aisha will provide more information for those who would like to get involved. So if your time away from school has reminded you of the importance of friendship and how much you've missed your friends, gaining a pen pal might be just the thing you are looking for. You never know. You might even discover a new love of writing at the same time. Not simple to say Most days I don't recognize me These shoes and this apron That place and this patron I've taken more than I gave them It's not easy to know be although it's true I was never attention sweet center I still remember that girl she's imperfect but she tries she is good but she lies she is hard on herself she is broken and won't ask for help She is messy but she's kind She is lonely most of the time She's all of this mixed up and baked in a beautiful pie She is gone but she used to be Bye.
Thank you, Beck, for that fantastic performance. Today, we are celebrating International Penpal Day, a special day that many McRobbians may not be familiar with now, but undoubtedly will be celebrating in years to come. On this very special occasion, I'm so excited to announce that MacRob, together with Queen Margaret College and All Girls High School in New Zealand, will be running a joint penpal program called Kiwis and Kangaroos. As disconnection is a risk factor for social isolation and loneliness, both risk factors for reduced physical and mental health, the Kiwis and Kangaroos penpal program has been created as an opportunity to form friendships between students of similar age and interest from both of our schools. As the PenPal initiative is being run through our schools, it's a closed and safe environment in which students can not only widen their networks, but also learn about another culture and develop their skills in reading and writing. The program may also be appealing to students who enjoy and feel a little bit more comfortable making friends by communicating in writing rather than face-to-face. -face. Soon, all students will be receiving an email from us which will contain a sign-up sheet for the program. Within the sign-up sheet, there are a number of different categories such as sport, STEM, the performing arts, music, entertainment, and so on. So interested students should consider these, choose one primary interest, and list three others. Students will be matched on the basis of their age and these interests. And at this stage, matching will be done by Bella and Ella, their prefects, Michaela and myself. Many pen pal friendships last lifetimes, and we can't wait to see the MacRob community get behind this. So if any students have any questions or suggestions about the project, we would love to hear them. Thank you. This week is National Reconciliation Week, and it's a chance for all Australians to celebrate Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander culture. Reconciliation asks us all to give great acknowledgement to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander rights to land and sea, understanding of the impact of government policies and conflicts, and an embracing of stories of Indigenous success and contribution. So in this next section of the podcast, V and I will be speaking with Dr. Brown about how we, as non-Indigenous people, can support our First Nations people and about how we move forward on the path of reconciliation. Hope you enjoy. Hi, everyone. <laughs> I'm Sharon. And I'm V. And today we're joined with Dr. Brown. Hello. So, hi, Dr. <laughs> Brown. Um, how's it been going? How's your weekend been oh, going? <laughs> it's been nice. Yeah, I've, I've enjoyed my weekend. Um, I've been... Doing some nice relaxing marking today. Uh, getting a bit of fun. Relaxing. <laughs> yeah, it's been good. All right. Um, I guess we can move on to some of the quick fire questions we have here. Um, so firstly, how would you describe yourself in two sentences? Uh, I am a Pakia woman living in Melbourne. I am a teacher, a writer, a mother, and recently a cat person. Oh, um, second question is, what is your proudest accomplishment? Um, I think that's that would be the publication of my latest book last year uh, called Neon Days about the first four months of my son's life. And I was sort of cheating with this one. I'm trying to squeeze two accomplishments into one because that book wouldn't exist without <laughs> my son existing. <laughs> I'm proud of both proud that it's a sort of a bit of a feminist thing to talk about those early months that we don't hear that much about anyway yeah. Sylvia Plath <laughs> <laughs> a little yep and the next question is what's the best thing that happened to you last week 
Okay, so this sounds very corny, but uh, it was walking into my first in-person class last week at McRob and seeing my students in person as opposed to just as these little glum faces on a screen. I shouldn't say glum, but it was. And it was really lovely. It was a lovely atmosphere to um, yeah to be back together again. Everyone was so happy and jubilant, and yeah, it was great. <laughs> I can definitely say it's not corny because I was very happy and um, I can show you it was very glum. I I felt a bit sad. (laughs) Things are getting more normal slowly. (laughs) Definitely. Um, A fourth question is who's someone that inspires you? Uh, I'm going to say Jacinda Ardern, the Prime Minister of New Zealand, because I, I so often find myself thinking what would Jacinda do in any given situation <laughs> um, she's great she's an amazing prime minister very proud of it definitely and she's a mother as well she is yes uh, I can't I, I will never forget the email because I'm a member of the New Zealand Labour Party and it was sent out I probably shouldn't de- declare that kind of thing as a teacher in a government so anyway <laughs> uh, they were sent out uh, saying um, I've got a little bit of news from her when she was she announced her pregnancy and it was just such an exciting moment so Mm. Having a feminist moment to hear of New Zealand Prime mm. having a baby while in office. Anyway, yeah. definitely. Oh. Sorry, Sharon. <laughs> is, okay, yep. And the last <laughs> question is yes or no to Vegemite? Yes to Vegemite. Good news. <laughs> Very good news. Yep. And so we're going to start moving on to a few of our discussion questions here. So, want to start off? Um, to start us off, why is it important that we support our First Nations people? So I, I don't know where to start with this question because there are so many reasons that it makes me kind of uncomfortable to have to ask the question at all. Um, I think one way of thinking of it is that um, the country that we live on and benefit from belongs to our First Nations people. Um, its sovereignty has never been ceded. We are here by their grace. And uh, so in that respect, um, I mean, we shouldn't just be arguing for equality, but recognition of, of ownership um, and or relic, um, custodianship, I suppose. We, are, we should be following the lead of our First Nations people and caring for the land rather than seeing it as something supposed to be owned. It's only a bit politically radical, I, I, re- I realise. Um, I don't think I'll apologise for that. Um, but a, a, another element to it is, of course, the ethics of the situation. Um, and in supporting our First Nations people, we're acknowledging the injustices of the past and of the present. It's not just an historical um, fact that um, our First Nations people of Australia uh, are in an unequal situation in many ways, and we need to, we need to listen to their um, listen to them when they tell us what they need, and do what we can to support and to learn. Um, anyway, I would like to hear from you on this as well. What are your thoughts? Sharon, you should go. Um, so I've written down a few things just because, like, I don't know where to start with this either, but I guess First Nations people, like, we all live in Australia and we all deserve the same right to live in society without discrimination and just equally as people. Mm-hmm. So considering we're all about a fair go and that's, like, one of our national values, I guess, it's so unjust that First Nations people still face things like, you know, the 10-year um, health gap and it's just not right um just i like love australia but we can do better we can do better really definitely and i think um 
It definitely, I think the question comes from equity, the idea of, you know, um, we should be supporting our most vulnerable and the people that we've wronged and the people that, you know, the reason why they're in this situation is because of the post-colonial past that we have. And I think I remember that, it's really funny, I was watching this TikTok, but um, it was (laughs) talking about how a lot of um, modern, almost usually, typically Caucasian governments or people tend to say, you know, they destabilize a country or they destabilize a community, and yet they call them chaotic and barbaric. And the idea of you cause the situation, but you are unwilling to take responsibility mm-hmm. and even further stigmatize them. And I think it's important that we, like Dr. Brown says, we recognize that the wrongs that we have done in the past and try and make do by supporting our First Nations people. Um, So I think the second question that kind of leads on to this, because obviously most people listening to this podcast are students and teachers, is how should or how could schools incorporate Indigenous education and respectful customs without seeming tokenistic? Because sometimes when I listen to at assembly the... um, we acknowledge the lands. I sometimes do think it's a bit tokenistic considering that there isn't much active education in our school either. So Dr. Ben? <laughs> uh, this question weighs heavily upon me. Uh, I've been thinking about it for many years, but especially for the last year, um, I was lucky enough to get to spend some time doing a bit of research at Melbourne Graduate School of Education last year and to um, incorporating more Australian texts into the curriculum and I was focusing particularly on Australian First Nations texts and uh, this was and then I went down the rabbit hole really this is it shouldn't be surprising but in order to teach a text you have to um, teach a context as well you have to teach the situation and in order to teach the situation you have to admit to where you stand in that situation and it becomes um, emotionally fraught. There are layers of guilt and lots of other obstacles to doing doing the job properly. And so you might give up on it and say, well, you know, just this one text is broken rather than a an authentic kind of response to the um, to the the lack of uh, kind of credence to this this issue that the curriculum has historically given. And um, well, you might say that the, the acknowledgement of country is a token or the smoking ceremony at the start of the year, which feels like a long time ago now, doesn't it? Um, was a token. Mm. Uh, I think that it's really tricky and it's to distinguish between tokens and meaningful statements. And it's all about how you interpret them and what you do. If you stop at the token and say, this is enough, this is all we need to do. And we've ticked that box. We've done First Nations culture for the year. Then that's tokenism. But if you see it as a symbol that reminds you that you need to keep working and listening and learning and reading and um, improving your understanding of the problem, then it's not tokenistic, then it's authentic and it's genuine and it's your heart's in the right place. Um, I want to be frank here and um, it might be a bit uncomfortable. You maybe don't hear teachers doing you know, sort of this kind of confession all that often, but I feel really uncomfortable about the way in which the Dark Emu project that I started or tried to begin implementing at the start of the year has sort of tailed off um, partly due to the extraordinary circumstance of COVID-19 um, and sort of admitting to the, the layers of guilt that are interfering with my rejuvenating that and getting it back on track is, I, I hope, a model of um, 
what what others might be feeling and and I hope that it's showing you that um yes we we are all feeling that way that you know, perhaps the weight of responsibility and dealing with such an important issue it can cripple us or make us feel like it's too much to even begin but um but you have to keep going and I will keep going with it too it's not um dead it's dormant the the dark emu project and I think that we should all feel um the same kind of sense of uh determination to continue learning and teaching ourselves um and each other about these issues because they are so important and I applaud you for um for having this conversation um on reconciliation day so I think it's that's that's more than a token is what I'm saying Mm, yeah so I think I definitely resonate with what you said about if you just leave it as it is and trying to say that you've done enough when obviously it's probably not enough I think that's a very hard, uh, good line to use to try and make sure that we don't think that small gestures are enough and that they're just a step but not the final solution mm, agree yeah um, so I guess our second question is, um, so Dr. Brown, we know you attended a lecture surrounding Indigenous Australian education in schools. Um, could you tell us a bit more about what you learned? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it was a, a great highlight at the end of last year for me. It was the first day of the um, Australian Association of Teachers for English conference, and it was all dedicated to um, teaching Indigenous texts. And there was an amazing array of speakers um, who were so inspiring and um, and practical as well in their advice. I'm going to share a couple of things that have stuck with me this year. Um, this one is uh, it's a funny one actually. It's a, a theme that I noticed as I was listening to the speakers. Speaker after speaker would talk about their own high school days and just about all of them were expelled from their high school. So for instance, the short story writer and novelist and academic Tony Birch um, lives in Melbourne. He's expelled from his high school in Fitzroy. Marcia Langdon, uh, amazing um, matriarchal academic at Melbourne University, expelled from her high school. Uh, Ali Kobiekman, the poet, uh, expelled from her high school. This theme here made me start to consider what the, the reason for this was, and we probably um, deduce that it's to do with... Um, agitation and rebellion and um, sort of fighting against authority figures and against an unjust situation and um, not being understood by the, the powers that be in the institutions that were um, charged with educating uh, these young people. Um, but on the other hand, there was also this theme of, um, of I guess, autodidactism or, or self-education. Tony Birch talked a lot about because this, um, this lecture was taking place in the Fitzroy Library, which he said he went to as a child. It was quite a poignant moment looking around at the old bookshelves and imagining this sort of seven-year-old Tony Birch going in there and choosing novels from the shelves. And um, he said that this, you know, the libraries of having free access to information and to culture. And uh, he read widely, just sort of worked his way through Kind of the equivalent of the penguin classics and he said you know if he had restricted himself to reading only from cultures that sort of matched his own cultural heritage then he would be sort of um academically and culturally worse off and he, he thinks that we should consider the same thing for our students that we need to provide a range of different texts in order to enrich our students 
um, internal lives and cultural understanding. And that, of course, means First Nations texts as well. Um, and although uh, this is relevant, although she's not um, an Australian First Nations person and wasn't at the conference, but um, Larissa, Larissa McLean Davies at the University of Melbourne refers to something called your book print, which is a bit like your fingerprint. It's like an identifying marker of, of your identity. And um, and she says that teachers have a certain responsibility over their students' book print. And it means that the sum of what you read, especially during your, your school years, will inform the kind of person you become. And so it's uh, partly our job to expose you or introduce you to a whole range of texts and um, viewpoints. And so that's why I think it's so important to um, to endeavour to include a range of different texts on the curriculum, especially by First Nations writers. Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot more I could say about the conference, but I don't want to, I don't want to ramble on too long. No, no, it's all good. All good. <laughs> no, that was so great. Um, so our next question is, I think this leads on very nicely, which is, what should teachers consider when trying to incorporate Indigenous education to their classes? So obviously you were talking about um, literature and English teachers incorporating texts and, you know, trying to make that book print for students. Um, so maybe for more uh, kind of other STEM subjects like science and maths, what are some almost tangible ways that they can try and put forward this education okay so i'm going to be try and be really practical here um marcia langdon who i mentioned before is at the university of melbourne and has created a website called indigenous knowledge that provides resources for school teachers of every subject to incorporate indigenous knowledge into the classroom um unfortunately it's just for years three to ten so it's not um so much sort of but it can be and i've, I've gone through and looked at all of its offerings and it can be kind of modified to suit BCE students as well um, and I, what's just so useful about it is the thoroughness so there are lots of links to lesson plans and resources and ideas and um, it's just a really practical easy to use tool and it's something that um, is aligned with the with the curriculum there are curriculum links made so it's not like you need to do something on top of your your current unit you can um, easily sort of incorporate it in so that's that's something that um, I'd recommend is taking advantage of the resources that are available and this is just one of many 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 resources um, last year I I did a couple of workshops with teachers at McRob about um, this very question and um, included as many links as I could to different resources that can be used I know um, from my colleagues that these are beginning to be or have been used um, really well in a range of subjects at McRob. So um, I hope that it's just con it continues on and that people keep looking because there's a wealth of information out there online. It's just a matter of looking for it. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, definitely agree. I think this leads to kind of our last question about what we can keep in mind as students and just in general about, you know, like how do we go about learning and educating ourselves about the injustices faced and just in the right way, like <laughs> what kind of attitude yeah. almost? Um, uh, I think before I'd really love to just hear about your experiences of what mm. you feel like when you um, sort of approach Indigenous issues in the classroom or read a First Nations text. But before I ask, I, I just as a general point, I'd like to 
um, recommend reading and listening. Um, it's as simple as that. And that's what I was hoping from the Dark Emu project is to just simply, without any expectation of an output from you necessarily, just to give you lots of options for things that can enrich your understanding of Australian First Nations people and experiences and issues. And I, I like to think that McGrob students are readers and enjoy reading. And this might be a sort of low stress, easy way of beginning that immersion. Find a novel or a short story collection or poetry collection or um, even a podcast, a film, whatever you like, a text, and read it, listen to it. I mean, don't think of it as medicine, it's something that you have to follow down and you're allowed to read something else. But just see, this is, you're varying your diet. You're learning um, more about um, different voices uh, in your, your national community. And um, so read widely and see that as your way of contributing. It's a political act to, to choose what you're reading um, in this way. And also follow people on Instagram. Follow people. You mentioned TikTok before, V. It's not just this sort of, you know, evil pop cultural thing that I think some old people think of. Um, <laughs> make sure that you're, yeah, you're immersing yourself as best you can. You're curating lots of media around you that is helping you learn more. But, yeah, I want to ask you, how do you feel when you are sort of confronted with, um, you know, Indigenous issues or history or texts in class? Sharon, do you want to go first? Um, I don't know, just like so many feelings. I think um, someone mentioned in Year 10 History about how there are textbooks out there that, you know, present history from this, like, viewpoint that we haven't considered. And it's like, I don't know, just if we could learn from those as well as, I don't know, just like everything that we are provided, just like going into it with an open mind, mm -hmm. I guess. And definitely, I'd like to know more. And it's just about looking out for these things like I know SBS and ABC they have a lot of like I don't know resources articles and as well as movies like just keeping an open mind and seeking out these things to educate yourself to becoming a better person and citizen as well I guess is super important yeah V what about you yeah definitely I think yeah definitely having an open mind is super important which like definitely leads into how I think that students well both this this has definitely been touched on by both um, Dr. Brown and Sharon, which is um, students shouldn't see this as tedious. And I understand that some students don't find a classroom interesting and don't find learning interesting, but this isn't the same as learning trigonometry or your quadratic formulas for methods. It's not the same as trying to study for the UCAT for medicine. This is learning about Indigenous Aboriginal Australian culture and trying to support them as allies. It's not the same as an academic book. It's more about, it holds a lot more weight. It's about how we impact our society, how we hold our government accountable and how we make sure that the wrongs and the moral standpoint that we hold is grounded with education and understanding. So I think students need to keep in mind that this is almost like their responsibility and it's, their, it's a lot more serious and a lot more meaningful than whatever formula or equation that you learn that was so beautifully put V that's just lovely and I'm delighted to hear that you you see it that way um it reminds me what you've just been saying so eloquently there of um 
a writers' festival session that I went to last year by Tara June Winch. She's a Wiradjuri woman and a novelist, and her recent novel, The Yield, has this extensive Wiradjuri dictionary in the back of it, or glossary, I should say, that um, teaches you so much language that you might feel is not available to you or not your right in a way to learn. And in her speech, she she said, if you if you benefit from um, the land, uh, from Indigenous land, from, from the country that you are on, if you work here, study here, live comfortably here, then it is your responsibility, as you said, V, but it's also your right to learn the language. And it's in, it's in learning the language that you learn more about the culture and you understand the, sorry, the absolute integration between culture and land. Um, so even if you feel uncomfortable approaching this in a matter of sort of social justice or race, then maybe you feel more comfortable approaching it from the perspective of um, environmentalism, of, um, of of climate change. Of it's all it's intertwined together, um, the land and the culture and um, the understanding of both. So I, I loved what you were suggesting, V, about this being more important than quadratic equation, equations, more important than perhaps your ATAR even, it sounds like a sacrilegious thing to say, doesn't it? <laughs> More important than the job that you do. Um, <laughs> this is about your identity in this country and feeling like you are a, um, a sort of honest, authentic, contributing citizen. And um, and I think that it's the only way to address any discomfort that you might have about this is to just learn and to be kind to yourself as you're learning, but to keep going. Um, and I think that you know, you've asked such good questions today and and, and that's a lovely sign that you are doing the right thing. Um, so I just, I'd like to thank you for having me on, even though I'm not an Australian Indigenous person myself, I feel a bit uncomfortable about speaking on this, but at the same time, it shouldn't stop us. We should be talking about how to ed educate ourselves and each other. So thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So um, with that, we're going to wrap up this interview. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Brown. We really appreciate your time. And just, yeah, like what you were saying about we may not have all the answers, but that shouldn't stop us from seeking them out. And, yeah, so thank you again. Um, so I hope you all enjoyed listening to this part. And, yeah. Thank you. That wraps our episode for today. Thank you to everyone who has contributed to make this such a special podcast. Thank you to Miss Stout and Asia for discussing their new initiative for Pen Power Day, which sounds really exciting for the students. Thank you to Beck Larratt for her stunning rendition of She Used to Be Mine. And thank you to Michaela McMahon, our school captain, for her reflections on the first week back. I'd like to extend my gratitude and special thanks to V Tran, Sharon Tang, and Dr. Brown for their reflections and discussions about the contribution we can all make to acknowledge, celebrate, and honor the custodials and spiritual owners of our lands, our indigenous people. The theme for Reconciliation Week this year is In This Together. And it's more important than ever that we continue to build relationships of respect and understanding with all people in our community. For more information about Reconciliation Week and the text mentioned in the interview, please follow the links in our podcast description. The next episode of our Assembly podcast will be released in the final week of term. 
We would really welcome any feedback or suggestions of what you might like to include in that podcast. Let your captains or me, Miss Pride, know via email anything that you would like to include in the next episode. Thank you, everyone, and enjoy your day. I haven't seen my family in several months. My parents are elderly and mum is immunocompromised, so I've been keeping away. They live close to my sister and brother, about an hour's drive from me, so they have their own germ bubble, which I'm not part of. My dad's 91st birthday passed with only a phone call from me, and I was acutely aware of missing that celebration and being unable to share in the roast dinner and rice pudding that would undoubtedly have been part of it. We're very English regarding our Sunday roasts in my family. That family connection has always been important to me, more so as I belong to a very large family, but they all live overseas as my immediate family migrated to Australia when I was eight. I grew up listening to friends' stories about cousins, aunties and uncles and grandparents, all the time very aware that I was missing out, as all mine were 10,000 miles away. I've reconnected with some relatives since we left through travel and via social media, but it's my immediate family who are so important to me as they're the ones who've shared all the important experiences of my life. There are four generations of us now, the youngest, my great niece and nephew, my wonderful greats, just six and nine, but growing up fast. Those two children are the absolute lights of my life and I see them whenever I can, although they too live an hour's drive away in the other direction. It makes face-to-face connection difficult, but they know they'll see me at least every school holidays and we always do fun things together. Time is always a factor when forging relationships and it's sometimes hard to make time in our busy lives to keep in touch, which is why technology can be so great. However, it will never replace actual live contact with people, something which I think has become obvious during the COVID-19 pandemic and the resulting isolation. As many of you know, I have a dog, a big, beautiful, bouncy and boisterous German shepherd called Bronte, who I've been sharing many delightful walks with during the crisis. I'm not that person from the internet who takes her dog out so often that the dog refuses to walk or tries to hide, but we have been enjoying long walks in some glorious weather every day. What I've noticed is that not only are there more people and families wandering around together on their own walks, but that people seem more willing to connect when they see each other. A shared smile can form a fleeting connection between strangers. A short conversation might develop when those same people are spotted several times, or in some cases, something resembling friendship can develop when the same people are seen every day and we stop and have a longer chat, sharing experiences and stories, learning how others are responding to the sudden changes we're all facing. Bronte and I have regular chats with people and dogs we see all the time during our walks and that sort of connection has made isolation much easier for many people. Other forms of community connection have also been apparent on our walks. The bears in people's windows, the rainbows displayed as pictures in windows or chalk drawings on pavements, the messages of hope and fellowship also chalked onto pavements, all signs of a community coming together to support each other, showing they care inviting a sense of belonging. Technology has enabled other forms of connection during this crisis. 
Just this weekend, I was part of a Zoom party to celebrate the significant birthday, one with a zero on the end, of a member of a dear group of friends. We've known each other for close to 40 years. Our friendship began through shared circumstances. We were all young teachers at the same school. But our deeper connection, that sense of belonging we all feel, was forged through shared experiences. Together we've celebrated triumphs, mourned losses, and shared the great milestones of a human life. Love, breakups, children and grandchildren for some, changes in career paths for others, and now we're all either retired or getting close to it. We've travelled together, lived together, worked together, and celebrated together. Girls' Christmas lunches are epic and legendary, starting at midday and often lasting well into evening. The noise level can be breathtaking. We've supported each other through challenges and endeavours and will remain the best of friends for hopefully many more years. You are possibly forming friendships like this now, finding a group you'll always belong to, friends who will support you through thick and thin, accept you for who you are, warts and all. I can only hope that your friends will be as great over the years as all mine have been. On Sunday, via Zoom, we saw our friend's present delivered, watched her opening it, witnessed her delighted reaction and sang happy birthday to her as she blew out the candles on her cake. Members of my form group will know exactly how distorted that would have sounded. Technology has allowed our school community to connect during coronacation. It's helped foster and cement that sense of belonging we all feel at McRobb. Students and staff alike have connected through Tribe and it has helped to keep our vibrant school culture alive. I remember how chuffed I was when I saw that someone from Oriads was actually following me. It made me feel very much a part of something huge, as I always do at Oriads house meetings. Big shout out to Trish and Nee here. However, during classes, while I think we've all coped admirably with online learning, that spontaneity has been missing. That vibe we get in classrooms when we all feel comfortable and can all communicate easily and get immediate responses. Dealing with dodgy internet, time lags in conversations, a screen filled with symbols rather than faces have all caused some sense of dislocation at times. It's why it was so fantastic to be back at school despite the early rises and commute. The minute students started arriving, the minute that familiar excited chatter flowed through the corridors, the first time I stood in front of each of my classes, that vibe was back. The McGrob vibe I felt on my very first day teaching here and which has never diminished. That vibe shows we're a community. It makes that sense of belonging palpable and it connects us all. While we were experiencing online learning, many of you told me the best part of the experience was the extra sleep, although some said connecting with and spending time with family was the best thing. However, you nearly all said that the worst thing was missing real contact with your friends, and the thing most of you were looking forward to most about returning to school was seeing those friends in the flesh. Now that we're all back at school, now that things are slowly starting to return to normal, let's remember everything positive that came from the COVID-19 pandemic. Let's continue to foster connections within our communities and families. Let's continue to support each other, to look after each other and ourselves. Let's continue to do in reality what many of you were doing virtually and within your own homes 
and let's keep that McGrob vibe alive. I haven't seen my family in several months. My parents are elderly and mum is immunocompromised, so I've been keeping away. They live close to my sister and brother, about an hour's drive from me, so they have their own germ bubble, which I'm not part of. My dad's 91st birthday passed with only a phone call from me, and I was acutely aware of missing that celebration and being unable to share in the roast dinner and rice pudding that would undoubtedly have been part of it. We're very English regarding our Sunday roasts in my family. That family connection has always been important to me, more so as I belong to a very large family, but they all live overseas as my immediate family migrated to Australia when I was eight. I grew up listening to friends' stories about cousins, aunties and uncles and grandparents, all the time very aware that I was missing out, as all mine were 10,000 miles away. I've reconnected with some relatives since we left through travel and via social media, but it's my immediate family who are so important to me, as they're the ones who've shared all the important experiences of my life. There are four generations of us now, the youngest, my great niece and nephew, my wonderful greats, just six and nine, but growing up fast. Those two children are the absolute lights of my life, and I see them whenever I can, although they too live an hour's drive away in the other direction. It makes face-to-face -face connection difficult, but they know they'll see me at least every school holidays and we always do fun things together. Time is always a factor when forging relationships and it's sometimes hard to make time in our busy lives to keep in touch, which is why technology can be so great. However, it will never replace actual live contact with people, something which I think has become obvious during the COVID-19 pandemic and the resulting isolation. As many of you know, I have a dog, a big, beautiful, bouncy and boisterous German Shepherd called Bronte, who I've been sharing many delightful walks with during the crisis. I'm not that person from the internet who takes her dog out so often that the dog refuses to walk or tries to hide, but we have been enjoying long walks in some glorious weather every day. What I've noticed is that not only are there more people and families wandering around together on their own walks, but that people seem more willing to connect when they see each other. A shared smile can form a fleeting connection between strangers. A short conversation might develop when those same people are spotted several times, or in some cases, something resembling friendship can develop when the same people are seen every day and we stop and have a longer chat, sharing experiences and stories, learning how others are responding to the sudden changes we're all facing. Bronte and I have regular chats with people and dogs we see all the time during our walks, and that sort of connection has made isolation much easier for many people. Other forms of community connection have also been apparent on our walks. The bears in people's windows, the rainbows displayed as pictures in windows or chalk drawings on pavements, the messages of hope and fellowship also chalked onto pavements, all signs of a community coming together to support each other, showing they care inviting a sense of belonging. Technology has enabled other forms of connection during this crisis. Just this weekend, I was part of a Zoom party to celebrate the significant birthday, one with a zero on the end, of a member of a dear group of friends. We've known each other for close to 40 years. Our friendship began through shared circumstances. We were all young teachers at the same school. 
but our deeper connection, that sense of belonging we all feel, was forged through shared experiences. Together we've celebrated triumphs, mourned losses, and shared the great milestones of a human life, love, breakups, children and grandchildren for some, changes in career paths for others, and now we're all either retired or getting close to it. We've travelled together, lived together, worked together and celebrated together. Girls' Christmas lunches are epic and legendary, starting at midday and often lasting well into evening. The noise level can be breathtaking. We've supported each other through challenges and endeavours and will remain the best of friends for hopefully many more years. You are possibly forming friendships like this now, finding a group you'll always belong to, friends who will support you through thick and thin, accept you for who you are, warts and all. I can only hope that your friends will be as great over the years as all mine have been. On Sunday, via Zoom, we saw our friend's present delivered, watched her opening it, witnessed her delighted reaction and sang happy birthday to her as she blew out the candles on her cake. Members of my form group will know exactly how distorted that would have sounded. Technology has allowed our school community to connect during coronacation. It's helped foster and cement that sense of belonging we all feel at McRobb. Students and staff alike have connected through Tribe and it has helped to keep our vibrant school culture alive. I remember how chuffed I was when I saw that someone from Oriads was actually following me. It made me feel very much a part of something huge, as I always do at Oriad's house meetings. Big shout out to Trish and Nee here. However, during classes, while I think we've all coped admirably with online learning, that spontaneity has been missing. That vibe we get in classrooms when we all feel comfortable and can all communicate easily and get immediate responses. Dealing with dodgy internet, time lags in conversations, a screen filled with symbols rather than faces, have all caused some sense of dislocation at times. It's why it was so fantastic to be back at school despite the early rises and commute. The minute students started arriving, the minute that familiar excited chatter flowed through the corridors, the first time I stood in front of each of my classes, that vibe was back. The McGrob vibe I felt on my very first day teaching here and which has never diminished. That vibe shows we're a community. It makes that sense of belonging palpable and it connects us all. While we were experiencing online learning, many of you told me the best part of the experience was the extra sleep, although some said connecting with and spending time with family was the best thing. However, you nearly all said that the worst thing was missing real contact with your friends, and the thing most of you were looking forward to most about returning to school was seeing those friends in the flesh. Now that we're all back at school, now that things are slowly starting to return to normal, let's remember everything positive that came from the COVID-19 pandemic. Let's continue to foster connections within our communities and families. Let's continue to support each other, to look after each other and ourselves. Let's continue to do in reality what many of you were doing virtually and within your own homes. And let's keep that McGrob vibe alive.